0: My own Jewish journey almost ended when I was 13. At my parents' demand for years of my childhood, I attended twice-a-week Hebrew school. Like so many other stories I have heard, I, too, disliked it immensely. It didn't speak to me. I didn't sense the joy or grasp the meaning. It left no imprint on my emerging and maturing mind. Once I became bar mitzvah and had a big party, along with my twin brother, we fell off the proverbial Jewish cliff. It seemed that Judaism would no longer play a significant role in my life. Thankfully, I found my way back on the Jewish path, though it was surely not because of my formative years at religious school. Thankfully, we have come a long way, especially here at Temple Sinai, in how we teach and engage our youngest minds. Anyone listening to this podcast is on a Jewish journey, whether born into this crazy tribe or seeking to convert, whether ritually observant or culturally Jewish, whether Ashkenazi or Sephardic. We are all like Abraham and Sarah in some ways, seeking meaning, called to the unknown. Welcome to Seeking Sinai, the monthly podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta, where we explore the great spiritual questions of our day. We continue our exploration of Jewish journeys on a quest to inspire and derive meaning from the amazing people around us. We are here with one such person today, and I am so honored and excited to sit here with Rachel Moldovan, Director of Youth Learning and Engagement. Rachel is a force of nature around this building and is responsible for so much of what makes Sinai a shining light in the community Essentially, she is the reason why we no longer have the same sad stories that I shared just a few moments ago. Bruchima Bayim, welcome from wherever you are listening. I'm Rabbi Natan, Director of Adult Learning. I'm happy you are with us. Rachel Moldovan, thanks for coming to talk to us. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really glad to be here and thank you so much for your kind words.
0: So I hear this is your first uh, podcast uh, recording ever?
1: It is. It is my first podcast reporting ever. Uh, so I'm really glad to be here.
0: Great. Did, uh, did that opening story about, about my childhood uh, resonate with you at, at all? Oh,
1: a hundred percent. I feel like I've heard that story a million times from a million people, myself included. Uh, I think that everyone... You know, we have this final destination of you have to get to the bar mitzvah. You have to do the bat mitzvah. You have to read from the Torah. And so many people fall off because it's so intense and you do something so intensely. Like, it's like working out. Like, you work out, like, every single day for, like, three weeks. And then you're like, eh you know, I'm good for a little bit. And then you like want to do it again. Uh, so I feel like a lot of people go through that same thing where, especially when they become young adults and they go to college, they realize they're missing a piece of their spirituality and their Judaism and they go back to it uh, in their own way and in their own time. So I think, I think that resonates with a lot of people.
0: Great. I like that metaphor of working out. You know, if you don't continually use it, it goes into atrophy. And, uh, you know, you can't rely on those muscles to, to hold you up later in life. 100%. Um, so tell me about your uh, your uh, own family's Jewish journey. Uh, how did you all end up in the States? What are some twists and turns that, uh, that got you here?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So my mom was born in Havana, Cuba, and she was not born Jewish. Uh, they fled Cuba when Castro took over, Fidel Castro, and they came here with like, one suitcase they moved to Atlanta because that's where they knew and they've been here ever since Uh, so then you know they grew up Um, there's lots of stories about you know my abuelo like Heating the house with a propane uh, tank uh, because that's what they had, and they laugh about it because the way my family operates is, you know, laughing through our trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so th- there's a lot of jokes, and that's why we're all in therapy. But uh... <laughs> is,
0: is that how you got your 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 normal laughter that accompanies you? Uh, yes, that...
1: <laughs> everything's a joke. Um, everything's hilarious. No, uh, but uh, so that so my mom found Judaism by meeting my dad. And my dad grew up Jewish. He, His family is a totally interesting story as well. His side of the family is Abalafia So like the Abalafia of the temple in Toledo, Spain. And they came over, like, well, they got kicked out of Spain like way long ago. Um, and then they ended up back in Spain for something. So like that side is kind of Sephardic, but also, also um They moved to Miami and they met my Papu, who was my dad's dad, who um, was from Hungary. So it was like a marrying of Ashkenaz and Sephardim. And then they had my dad and four other siblings. So that family's huge. Um, My dad moved to Atlanta, went to law school at Emory, did all the things and met my mom through work. And then they decided, you know, if we're going to have a family we want to be Jewish and we want to raise our kids Jewish. And so before I even was born, my mom converted, uh, they went to, the, they got married at the temple in Midtown, uh, and they raised us Jewish and we went to, to temple, Kahila Chaim in Roswell and we were bat mitzvahed. And after my sister's bat mitzvah, we kind of fell off. It was like too far away. We were living in Johns Creek and all this stuff. Um, and it's funny because when I went to Georgia college, uh, joined Halal, and found Judaism again essentially and then I met my husband who eventually converted as well because that was sort of a sticking point for me was I wanted to raise Jewish kids because it was so important in my upbringing and we got married at the temple in Midtown as well uh so now we have our son Milo who um had his bris here we've celebrated Shabbat with him almost every Friday uh, assuming he's not sick or you know whatever's going on uh So throughout the pandemic, I was really trying to make challah every Friday. And that was sort of like a meditation for me. And then now that we're, I mean, the pandemic's not over, but we're coming up on an endemic, trying to do that every Friday. And I have my parents over and it's a thing, like that ritual piece is crucial for my Jewish
0: journey. Uh, beautiful. It, it really sounds like your family is kind of a poster family for, uh, like, the diversity of 21st century Judaism and how we're, like, kind of a melting pot from so many different places, cultures, and backgrounds. Uh, like, amazing stories. I,
1: that's... Yeah, I agree with that. I think that... It's funny because I think that we are American, like, very American in that sense, that it's such a melting pot. And we're so... My mom and my husband Andrew deciding to convert to Judaism because it was important to us to bring our kids up Jewish is just so meaningful and I just it's so nice. And yeah. Reform Judaism specifically has really spoken to us as a family. So,
0: yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's very American, but it's also so authentically Jewish. Uh, mm-hmm. in that so many people think that that Jews are kind of this monolithic whole and that we come from the same place or that uh we're like uniform or but like we we, we come from every uh, corner of the world from every uh, possible uh, place and race and nation, and so it's uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful way to embody that.
1: A hundred percent, I agree with that. Uh,
0: what about your um, your uh, journey in Judaism now? Like, would you consider yourself more of a uh, a religious Jew, a, a a cultural kind of peoplehood kind of Jew? Like, well, how would you describe that?
1: Oh, that's it's such a good question because I think that's something I grapple with on a daily basis. I think ritually doing Shabbat. Ritually, doing Shabbat is my thing. Like, I'm like, this is what we're going to do to be Jewish this week, even if I haven't done anything else. Um, I think culturally, I definitely identify as Jewish as well, just because I was brought up so Jewish. Um, My dad took me to shul like every Friday, sometimes every Saturday. Uh, He was really intent about that. And then in terms of, um, you know, peoplehood, I think because of my upbringing and the diversity, I think of peoplehood as a different, I don't necessarily think like the way that everybody in the Jewish community thinks Jewish peoplehood looks. I, The way peoplehood looks to me is diversity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my husband is just as Jewish as I am, even though he did convert. And, you know, Milo's just as Jewish as uh, I am, even though my mom wasn't Jewish. I think that there's a lot of, Identity is sort of concentric circles that I'm trying to figure out, and I think that I grapple, and I'm not the only one that grapples with our own identity every day, and so in terms of, like, identifying with Judaism, I would say ritually, culturally, and definitely peoplehood as well
0: great um we're uh, we're recording the uh, this podcast now live during the festival of lights uh Hanukkah what um this is like one of the most versatile of Jewish holidays it's its meaning has changed so much over the centuries uh what does uh Hanukkah mean to you? what do you think uh, it should mean to the Jewish people
1: well Hanukkah of course is the festival of lights and I think you know it's funny today also is winter solstice it's the longest night of the year and I think making sure that we always find light in the darkness. I always think of Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter when he talks about, you know, fighting light in the darkness. And I think that's perfect for our people all the time, um, for most people. And I think that, you know, this holiday, of course, it's not necessarily a huge holiday for the Jewish people, but I think it's very important to recognize that there is light at the end of the tunnel in the middle of winter. I mean, we're about to have a whole weekend of just negative temps. Um, well, okay. Not negative. It's like 30 degrees, but, but to Atlanta, it, it feels Atlanta, negative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that the, Hanukkah is important in that sense. It's not necessarily about the presents, um, even though it is fun to give presents. uh, It's about the light specifically.
0: And and even in moments of increased anti-Semitism, which we're going through right now, it's about seeing that light and focusing and elevating that light.
1: A hundred percent. I think... Yeah, the anti-Semitism right now is scary, and I, you know, my husband Andrew owns a violin shop in Avondale Estates, and he put a Hanukkah in the windowsill, and it was really sad, because the first thing I thought was, what if something happens, what if somebody, you know, destroys your shop, um, because you have a Hanukkah in the window, and, uh, he was like, well, you know, it's the festival of lights, like, it's light, like, it's Hanukkah, um, you know, we have to. We can't be afraid. Like you have to be who you are, even in the light of anti-Semitism.
0: So It's the very essence of the holiday, yeah. Yeah. Jewish pride and and uh, pu- and, and, and publicizing the miracle as much as possible.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: What um so let's pivot a little bit and, and talk about um about your role here. Uh, one of the central mitzvot uh, in Judaism is. Uh, we say in the words of uh, and you will teach your children uh, in your role. You see a lot of children pass through these doors and you're responsible for teaching some of the beauty of our heritage lasting thousands of years. Um, it's a pretty huge responsibility.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, when you put it that way, we have the best kids here. We have the best families. Um, these kids are amazing. And I think what's funny is, yes, it's a huge responsibility and, I'm always inspired by the work of uh, Sarah Hurwitz. She wrote here all along. And I saw her speak at a conference. And she signed the copy of the book. And she always talks about, like, this is a huge responsibility, especially in today's day and age when you are essentially, like, some families, not all families, some families are outsourcing their kids' Jewish education. Go to Noar for three hours on a Sunday. Come home, and we'll, like, continue with our lives. You'll go to sports and whatever, which is great. Also, we need that home component. So I think it, it is a huge responsibility to carry on this tradition. And I think also making sure that everybody is being met where they're at. Uh, so each kid is different. We want to make sure each kid is getting their Jewish education. It's going to look different for each kid.
0: Definitely. What, what are you, um, in, in running these programs, Noar uh, on Sunday and everything else, what are you most uh, impressed by? And what are some things that maybe keep you up at night?
1: Yeah. So in terms of the kids, what I'm most impressed by is their resilience. Uh, and, you know, I could deep dive into, you know, the, gener- you know, generational trauma of like the Jewish people and how everyone's resilient. Uh, but what I notice most is they're, you know, I've been here through the pandemic. They've bounced back and forth between different things. Every Sunday, these kids are coming. They're excited to be here. They want to be here. They're learning. They're making Jewish friends. So that's what I'm most impressed by. And of course, I, I have to shout out the know our teachers. I mean, talk about resilience. Like, you know, these teachers, most of these teachers have been with me for four or five years now. And, you know, this year we really didn't have any turnover at all. Um, so they were teaching during the pandemic, and they still wanted to come back and teach in person. Amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it just shows how important it is for all these people to make sure that these kids are getting their Jewish education. The thing that keeps me up at night is what we mentioned before about anti-Semitism. Especially knowing that some of these kids are going to college, and they're going to encounter some stuff that they are, they're not necessarily ready for. I think about here, we... We teach what we need to teach. We try to address anti-Semitism in a way that makes sense for them without, you know, crushing their Jewish spirit or their Jewish pride. And then they're going to go to college and there's going to be, like, pro-extremist you know, extremist Palestinian groups or like that are not necessarily factually accurate. And, like, um, gosh, I can't remember the name. There's some acronym uh, that was really bad. A few years ago on college campuses, and when they get to college, they're they're going to be shaken to their core. Um,
0: yeah, unfortunately, there are many of them. There's Students for Justice in Palestine. There's Jewish Voices for Peace. That there, there, there are um, there are many of them that they're going to encounter.
1: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And I am worried that they are not necessarily going to know exactly what to say to counteract that, because how can you? I mean, they they're being raised here with. A love of Israel. They're learning about Jewish peoplehood. They're learning about Judaism, and then we're just like go. Yeah, but um, is it, but
0: but 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 isn't that kind of the antidote in and of itself? Like, isn't it so important that we like teach Jewish pride? That will we show how much fun and um, how beautiful this heritage is, and then just in in embracing that identity, they'll be better equipped to yes. to handle challenges.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is. Exactly what it is. Yes. Um, Thank you for saying that, because I can't always articulate exactly what that is. I think, yes. So they'll be ready for it. I think, you know, I was talking to another teacher named Donna, and she was talking about how the best way to combat anti-Semitism is for them to know more Jewish stuff. Like, just know it um that way when a kid comes up and talks about blood libel or the elder or whatever uh, they can be like okay that's wrong because this this and this and this is actually what it's about um which which is a good way to be i know that some of those kids are going to be like what are you talking about and they're gonna find some stuff on the internet that might not be true so that keeps me up at night um but I have complete faith in these kids that they will know what to do. Like when that happened to me in college, like I clung to my Judaism even more because I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Like when people would say anti-Semitic things or have those kind of um, groups on campus, like it just doesn't feel right in your gut. Um, So I think, you know, I trust these kids to know what's going to feel right in their gut and be able to make uh, decisions based on that.
0: Great. Um, we spoke uh, um, a few minutes ago about the institution of the bar mitzvah um, mm-hmm. and children becoming B'nai mitzvah. Perhaps there's no greater milestone in any uh, one person's Jewish journey than becoming bar mitzvah. Uh, how do you like? What's the state of the union? How do you think we're doing in uh, preparing our kids uh, for this uh, for this role that has been around for so long? This, this Jewish adulthood. Do you think that the this traditional age of 12 and 13 is, is still relevant? Like, how, how are we doing?
1: That is a great question. So I think we're doing good. However, it is what absolutely rocked my world was when I went on birthright, which, of course, a lot of people say that. Uh, but, you know, there were people that hadn't gone to Hebrew school for years and years, and uh, they were just in Israel for the 10 days, and they got B'nai mitzvah like, on the trip. And I was like, what? They can just, like, do that? They didn't have to, like, go to Hebrew school for, like, 12 yeah. years? Um, So, that rocked my world completely, because I was like, I didn't know that. Uh, so, I think, I mean, it was important to my family that I go to Hebrew school and all that. And it, it was important to me to be bat mitzvahed, because uh, I'm just that kind of person. I need that. I think in terms of b'nai mitzvah here, we definitely are doing a great job. I think, meeting each kid where they're at and what they need and again it's all about family values i don't necessarily think that b'nai mitzvah is the end-all be-all to if you're jewish or not i think we do have some know our kids that choose not to be b'nai mitzvah not because they don't believe in judaism or whatever they just don't feel like they need to learn how to read from the torah and do the entire service in order to feel jewish and some of them don't want to stand in front of a bunch of people and do that. That's, like, really scary for them. Sure.
0: I mean, some don't need a ceremony, but regardless, everyone becomes bar mitzvah when they reach the age of 12 or 13. So even without the the ceremony, we're still preparing them for life as, as a Jewish adult, so to oh, speak. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. Yes. So, 100%. Um, especially, you know, we have kids at Davis, we have kids at Epstein, like we have kids at Noir on Sundays and they have an extra hour of Hebrew starting in fourth grade. So I think I still like the idea of 12 and 13. I, you know, in the Spanish community, it's 15 is when you become a woman. Uh, and I think that's like too late. I think 12 and 13 is exactly the pivotal point. I'm looking at our sixth graders now, and they're making connections to lots of things in the world that they, even a year ago in fifth grade, would not have made. And I'm looking at our seventh graders who have stepped up and become Madrahim, and the, I think this is the time that they need to be adults, uh, welcomed into Jewish adulthood. So I, I do think 12 and 13 is actually a good age.
0: Nice. So we'll keep the institution that's, uh, that's <laughs> escorted us for thousands of years. We'll, we'll keep it the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Of... Tell, tell everybody, tell yeah, the yeah, rabbis. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, there's, uh, one, one of my favorite sayings in, um, in Pirkei Avod, uh, ethics of the fathers in, in the Talmud is that we should encounter everyone which means with, with a cheerful countenance. Uh, you seem to embody this in every way, no matter how stressed you are, no matter uh, how busy you are, you're always uh, cheerful. You manage to find so much joy in Judaism, in your own Jewish journey, in, in, in making that alive for other people's journeys also. Um, how, how do you find so much joy? And how can we all find that joy as well?
1: That is so nice. Uh, And I think, so again, with the concentric circles about identity, I think Joy, let me back up a little bit. Let me hit rewind and I'm going to go to like, you know, in college, like, we all struggle with mental health. Um, so I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. But you know, I was depressed and then I was very anxious and the pandemic hit and so it's like all my worst fears came true. Um and so throughout the pandemic I worked a lot on like trying to you know, get my mental health back together and um and ever since then, you know, and my friend Liz, who works here as well, is always like, Look, this is your job. It's not who you are. You you like it's not that big of a deal. Like the, everything can wait. Um, and I've tried to embody that every day since then. And then it, that has made me more joyful. And every time I walk into a classroom, I try to think about, you know, sometimes these kids, not here. I mean, our Sinai families are amazing and they're great parents. But when I was teaching in public school, I, you know, there'd be kids that I might've been the only person they talked to today or asked them how they were. And I try to think about that when I'm interacting with adults uh, and I think also at another school, I was the person who got coffee creamer for all the teachers, and one of the teachers w- called me a happy maker, and I was like, "That's really nice," but like I also was thinking, like, "Well, I also want coffee creamer." Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, in terms of joy, it's hard. I don't always see myself as finding joy. I think that I'm inspired by a lot of joy around me, and I think trying to find joy is difficult sometimes and i think you know just being present in the moment and like having friends who will remind me how joyful everything is is helpful
0: and like you said at the beginning kind of finding that light and uh and 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 grasping onto it
1: 100 percent. yeah
0: uh so you're, you're um a pretty recent parent also which has <laughs> obviously uh changed your own jewish journey and also uh uh, the task of educating uh, future generations. Uh, in fact, my my youngest, Mayan, and your son, Milo, are both together uh, every day in the preschool uh-huh. uh, infant room right downstairs. Uh, I'm curious, how has becoming a parent uh, changed your perception slash relationship with Jewish education?
1: Um, a lot. So I remember Brad, I, Milo's bris, uh, Rabbi Brad, was like, all right, you're a parent now. It's time to... Uh, Think about all the other parents you've encountered and uh, give them some grace. And I was like, oh, that's fair." Uh, and so ever since you know Milo's been born, I've been really intentional about like, you know, does he have like the Hanukkah books and does he have you know the little Passover Seder play set and stuff. And luckily, I work at a synagogue, so you know Pretty I can easy find, to find that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think it, it it's made it more fun in a sense because I can literally see him learning. And, uh, you know, we subscribe to PJ Library and do all this stuff. And uh, I think just being intentional about making sure he gets exposure at such an early age is helpful.
0: Beautiful. Uh, Rachel, Todar Balach, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this conversation. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Whenever uh, I talk to you, like I said, my day gets brighter uh, and I always feel better about the Jewish future, knowing that so many of our kids are entrusted to your care. Uh, Thank you for all you do. I look forward to many more conversations and to Chaz Cloud. Thank you for your expert editing, publishing. Beth Schaefer for the opening and closing music. And for our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai, Atlanta. If you have any burning questions about anything that we've discussed, please let us know. This is not just a conversation live via podcast. It's also one across time and medium. So please make yourself a part of it. Our next episodes will continue to span some diverse voices, Jewish journeys to challenge and to inspire. Until then, setchem le shalom, go in peace.